morning. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. You're on with attorney Vincent Davis. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, all. It's Saturday morning. It's December 31st, 2016. And here at the studio, it's uh, cold and rainy here in Southern California. I hope everyone is doing well and getting ready for a... uh, successful and eventful 2017. Today we're going to be talking about trials in the juvenile dependency court. Um, I just want to mention, excuse me, that uh, there's an article that I appeared um, in the LA Times and it was a, uh, a report by some Los Angeles County attorneys to the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. Um, from what I've read so far, um, it looks like it's an 83-page report, but what I've read so far in the report is that um, the attorneys for the county are not reporting favorably about the whole juvenile dependency system as it uh, is implemented here in Los Angeles County. And the spin that the article gives is a spin with respect to children dying in the uh, foster care system. And, and of course, that is important. But what I believe is equally as important is the, the way this system works with respect to parents and relatives. And there's a quote from, the, um, from this report, and I don't have it in front of me, but it was something to the effect where these attorneys believed that there wasn't enough attention paid by the social workers and by the juvenile judges to real evidence instead of just raising concerns about children. And I have seen many, many cases over the years where it appeared to me that Um, people may be be making decisions based upon concerns rather than evidence. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a couple examples, as a matter of fact. Um, Several months ago, uh, we were hired by a mother to represent her in a juvenile case. And in this case, uh, the social workers had made allegations against the mother. And we went to the first hearing, which which is called the detention hearing, and uh, we argued the detention hearing. And the judge in that case ruled in a very close call at this uh, detention hearing, indicated that it was a very close call, but that she was going to keep the child detained from the mother. As a result of that ruling, I... Uh, decided that this was a particular type of case that might be best suited for what's known as a no-time waiver trial. Now, a no-time waiver trial is a trial that happens within 
15 court days. Generally, juvenile cases are set out for four to six weeks, and, you know, that's not even for the trial. That's for what's called pretrial. But anyway, I set it for a uh, hearing uh, within four to six weeks. The judge made it known to the social worker and to the Department of Children and Family Services that if they didn't have enough evidence or more evidence at the time of trial, that she would be throwing the case out. Fast forward about two weeks, time of trial. I'm a little late for the court that morning, and I walk in about 15 minutes late. <clears throat> the judge calls up all the attorneys to her bench and says to the county council who represents the Department of Children and Family Services, something to the effect of, you know, I told you you had to have more evidence and you don't have any more evidence. So my tentative after reading your report would be to dismiss the case and return the children, or return, yeah, there were two children, that's my right, return the children to the mother. And she asked, did, you know, did the social worker's attorney or the minor's attorney have any more evidence that they wanted to um, present? Well, <clears throat> neither the minor's attorney who had argued for detention at the, just two weeks before, nor the social worker had any further evidence, but they both said that they wanted to argue the case. And I think uh, the case was called and after argument, the judge did uh, <clears throat> decide to dismiss the case and return the children to the mother. But I have to tell you, the the social worker's attorney, the county counsel, who's a very experienced county counsel and a very good lawyer, made such a compelling argument that I thought the judge was going to change her mind. And the reason why I say it was a very good argument is because it did just what this article says. It raised concern after concern after concern. Even I was starting to doubt it. But I, as I stood there and listened to the argument, and one of the things that I tried to point out to the judge when it was my turn to argue was, concerns are not evidence. Concerns are not evidence, and we must, in my opinion, use evidence in order to make these decisions about whether we start breaking up families or not. So when you have a trial, make sure that you're talking to your attorney regularly, that you're talking to your attorney about what witnesses are we going to put on the stand what documents are we going to present to the judge? Are the documents admissible? Are they going to get past a foundation objection or a hearsay objection? So many times I see in the juvenile court, and this is all over California, <clears throat> a parent and the attorney will show up with these great counseling progress reports and letters and a lot of times one of the parties the social workers attorney or sometimes even a minor's attorney objects 
to these documents coming into evidence because they're without foundation and they're hearsay. Sometimes judges sustain that objection and don't let the uh, evidence in. And that's just poor planning by the parent and the parent's attorney by not having uh, some type of stipulation or not having that witness present. So be prepared for these trials. Trials take place, there are several main trials that happen in a juvenile dependency case. The first trial that takes place, or that could take place, and it's kind of a semi-trial, I'll call it a contested hearing, is right at the detention hearing. A lot of people don't know that when they go to the detention hearing and the judge makes a ruling that the case, that the child should be detained out of the parent's home, that they have a right to a, con a contested hearing, a hearing where they have the right to cross-examine the social worker. And that has to take place by statute or, and or rule within, I think it's two or three days of the original detention hearing. So that's the first time that you can have what I will refer to as a contested matter or trial. The second time that you can have it is at the jurisdiction and disposition hearing. The jurisdiction hearing is a hearing where the court has to decide whether the allegations made by the social worker are true. And if they're true, do, does the parent pose a risk to the child? If the answer is no, the case is thrown out. If the answer is yes, you are entitled to have a, what's called a dispositional hearing, a contested dispositional hearing. A lot of courts these days do the jurisdictional and dispositional hearing together. At the dispositional hearing, the court has to decide whether there is clear and convincing evidence that the parent is a substantial danger to the child and there are less no restrictive alternatives. Now, in my opinion, that's a pretty hard thing to do. That would be, have to be one dangerous person. But yet, <clears throat> in many cases I see, there isn't a trial at the dispositional hearing and everyone just accepts the social worker's word or recommendation and the child or children are placed out of the parent's care. Remember I said at this hearing, the social worker has to prove by clear and convincing evidence that the parent is a substantial danger, not just a danger, a substantial danger, plus there have to be no less restrictive alternatives. That last phrase, the no less restrictive alternatives, is something that's overlooked because in juvenile dependency, there are many, many less restrictive alternatives that aren't always explored by the social worker or by the court or by the minor's attorney or by the parent's attorney. So when you're having that type of hearing, make sure that you discuss those things with your attorney. The next type of hearing uh, that could be a trial in my, my description of trial is the six-month review hearings. Everyone is generally, and I say generally, entitled to a six-month review hearing and a 12-month review hearing. Sometimes it's an 18-month hearing. And those sections that govern that are the 366.21 uh, statute of the Welfare and Institutions Code. You have to get together with your attorney to do the same thing. Plan out what witnesses you're going to try to put on the stand, what documents that you're going to try to put on the stand, 
And, uh, you know, a good practice, and, and I try to do this a, a, in a lot of my cases, is I try to prepare a witness list and an exhibit list. Um, it sometimes shows the court that you are prepared. I was in San Diego County on a pretrial case that's going to trial on Tuesday, the day after New Year's. <clears throat> and I was the only attorney who filed a witness list and an exhibit list uh, prior to that hearing. And I just got the impression that the court was very appreciative of having that information from us uh, so that the court knew what to expect, what to look forward to, and perhaps how long the trial was going to take. So it's a good practice. Some courts require witness lists and exhibit lists to be filed by a certain date before the trial. Uh, some courts do not. I just think it's a good practice that you do. The last type of trial that you can have in a juvenile dependency hearing, actually it's not the last, there's two others, are it's what's called the 366.26 hearing. If you get to this stage in the case where the department is trying to terminate your family, excuse me, your parental rights, um, you, are, you, you, you have an uphill battle. And it's most important that you prepare for that case. The last type of hearing or trial that you can have is pursuant to section 388 of the Welfare and Institutions Code. Under that particular section, that's an escape valve, that's a life preserver for parents. They can file at any time to change any court order. Um, I just did a trial on a 388. Um, we were post-disposition hearing, but we were pre-six-month review hearing. My client had done everything, and we wanted the children returned earlier uh, than the um, six-month hearing date. Oddly enough, at that hearing, the court went with the social worker's uh, recommendations that my client could have the children Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights overnight, just keep them that block of time, but could not have the children return to them. Um, one of my colleagues at my office recently sent me a case, uh, and, and I did argue this, but it, it fell on deaf ears, that <clears throat> either you're a risk to your children and they should be returned to you, or you're not a risk to your children and they shouldn't be returned to you. You know, this this half, you know, step up plan about giving you three nights a week or having the children three of the seven days a week is kind of um, illogical to me, but that's what the court ruled and in that particular case, we did file a, an appeal. Uh, unfortunately, by the time the appeal is heard, um, we're going to have the children back at the six-month review date, which is in February, six to nine months. And by the time that rolls around, my client will have a have the children back, and the uh, the court of appeals, uh, pursuant to a motion that the social workers frequently file, is that the appeal is moot because the children have been returned. So those are the main areas of trials. Um, we're kind of backing up on our call on our call log, so I'm going to take the first call from a uh, listener today. It's from area code three one zero, ending in one one. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you want to tell your story, or did you have a question? Oh, um, there's a few things, but I'd like to give my story. I'm still in my uphill battle against DCFS. Go ahead. Let us know. 
Well, I've actually been to your office twice, and um, unfortunately, because of, you know, um, finances, I wasn't able to afford you. Um, I, we went six months without even having my first trial, and by the time we went, which um, was, I believe, November 23rd, uh, we had called my children, who at the time were the ones that made the allegations, and this is where it gets really tricky because... My daughter that they took out of my custody, Dylan, she is considered a separate case than the other three kids. And the allegations are against my other three kids. Um, that um, a situation happened where me and my husband got into a disagreement. And I guess they kind of exaggerated on what happened. Um, later on, recanting what they said to the, the detective that did the SCAR report um, and all, everything. And to me, I'm, like, thinking, you know, like, well, none of this happened, so there's, you know, nothing's going to happen. Like, you know, like, I can prove these things, and it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like, DCFS is going to have their opinion on you. They have chastised me. I'm, according to DCFS, I'm the most horrible mother in the world. And my public pretender, who did absolutely nothing, who called, who witnessed, who called as a police officer the wrong police officer as a witness, like, I tried to come at her with um, certain documents. You know, they're making allegations of all this head trauma to my children, and I went and got their six-year medical records showing that they have never been rushed to the hospital with head, you know, trauma. And my attorney was like, well, we don't need that. You know, we, we don't need any of those documents. And I kept telling her, like, you know, I feel strongly about bringing this into evidence and showing, you know, at the end of the day that, like, none of these things happen. Everything they're accusing me of, and it's not even me personally, it's my husband. And it, you know, it didn't matter because I would let my daughter visit her father and um, I was, I was endangering her. My daughter had never been, she had never been in a referral. You know, I, she had never, I didn't investigate. She's never been to the hospital. She's never been injured. She's never been, she was a very happy child. And they took her out of my custody because they said um, she could potentially be injured in the future. Like that's why they took her away. And, you know, when we went to trial six months after they initially took her out of my custody, which was in June 29th, um, and every month we would go back and DCF, the DCFS attorney would con ask for a continuance, another continuance, another continuance until finally November. And when we went back to court in November, I was very strongly like, at this point, me and my ex-husband had kind of come together because he knew that I wasn't a bad mom. And he knew like, you know, my one you know, the, the kids, well, when they initially interviewed the kids, it was my daughter that kind of exaggerated and um, on what had happened. But they had talked to my two sons, and they said that none of that stuff had happened. So my two boys were very credible witnesses in, you know, um, in the trial. Jordan had to take a lot of, you know, she took a lot of ridicule. They, they took the kids to the back. You know, I was able to hear them. And you know, they came at Jordan very, very hard. They called her a liar, and she they asked her, like, you know, they, they pretty much blamed her for this whole situation. And when she came out of that course, she was crying. But my other two boys, they were very credible. What they said, you know, their their story stayed consistent. And, you know, even and these allegations were about that one situation. So when we come out, the judge just ridiculed me and just talked so much nastiness about me and and the dcfs attorney doesn't know what she's saying because she, everything she's saying it she it's not even true you know 
And I'm just sitting there. My attorney is just like sitting there and I'm writing all these things down because you can't really talk. And I'm like, that's not true. Like, you, you know, say something. And at some point I got up, you know, when he's, he's coming at me really nasty and, and he's like you haven't done nothing I was like and I stood up and I was like you know what your honor I have I've done more than I needed to just because I haven't and this is what it came down to I didn't get her back because I refused to take the victims of domestic violence and that was it and I'm not a victim of domestic violence and I don't have the money to take $25 classes but I took I took their counseling, I took individual counseling, I went to see a psychiatrist, I see a therapist, I've taken three parenting classes, and still, at the end of the day, it wasn't good enough. He sat there and he told me pretty much that I have six months until June to take my domestic violence classes and to continue on doing everything else I'm doing, and or Dylan will be given up for adoption. <laughs> and I just, I, I cannot believe that this is our system. I'm not in my wildest dreams would I be able to like sit here and be like this is our judicial system it is I don't know how DCFS and CPS and and the the, you know main courthouse has been able to get away with what they've done like for so many years and they have destroyed everybody's life and I've I try to get home with social worker for weeks on it and they never call you back and I can't see my daughter until I get a hold of her and they they are still only allowing me after six months to see my daughter only two hours a week every two days and they have not given me any means of transportation to go see my daughter who's all the way in like Palmdale and I'm in Los Angeles like it's just it you know when you read all these documents on you know um the computer and, and your, you know, your rights and this and that, they do not give you anything. They, they are, it like, it's showing you right there. Like they're not, they don't want you to come back together with your family. They don't help you in any sort of way. The pamphlet that they gave me when I first signed up or when they first, you know, um, when I had my first meeting with my social worker, every single referral that was in there was completely useless to me. I had to go and do my own research and find my own referrals and, and do all the legwork on top of, you know, doing everything else that they're expecting me to do. And it's just, you know, I heard you earlier talking about like that there are representatives out there in this country that are, you know, that it's not necessarily against DCFS, but that they need to have substantial evidence before they come and take a child out of their mom's, you know, home. Like, and they, a majority of the time they don't. I've heard that 90% of the children that are taken out of their, their custody, it's, it's wrongful. And I have, I have personally, myself, I have written the attorney general. I have written Hilda Solis. I have written my senator, everybody, uh, Barbara uh, Boxer, like every single person that I can possibly write. And nobody will either return my call or they will not return my email or they say that they don't, that they don't mess with DCFS. Like that's not their, you know, um, that they have no jurisdiction over like what they do. And I'm just like, in my eyes, I'm like, is everybody like that scared of DCFS or do they just make that much money for the state or for the country? And it just comes down to the fact that sometimes it is about money. It's not about the families. Uniting. If you look on the website of DCFS, there's like maybe a handful of families that have actually sincerely been reunited with their with their children. And then there's people like me who have who's done everything and anything, and still it you know it's not good enough. And I I don't know what to go from here. I I told my attorney the minute we walked out of that court, 
um, I wanted an appeal, and she has not gotten back to me yet. <laughs> I, it's what, November, almost, it's going to be, what, a month and a half, and she has not returned one of my phone calls, one of my emails, and at this point, like, I don't know what to do. I mean, I do want to do the appeal, but I want to make sure that when I do something, that I come at it right. I don't want to come at it, like, halfway. I want to be able to, like, blow it out of the water and, like, show them, like, this is wrong, and, but I'm, you know, there's only so many hours in a day, and I'm not an attorney, and it's just, it's exhausting sometimes, and sometimes it's really hard. Let me jump in. Let me jump in. You've raised a lot of things that are of a concern to me. Um, do you have a pen and a piece of paper? I do. I'm a writer. I don't know if I'm going to so, talk to the first, the first thing that I want to tell you is you have 60 days uh-huh. from your last court date in which to file the notice of appeal. You mentioned that it had been a month and a half. So yeah, if your yeah. attorney is not getting so if your attorney is not getting back to you, it's incumbent upon you to file the notice of appeal. You okay. can get the form by just googling it. Uh, okay. You can Google uh, California notice of appeal juvenile. Okay, you can keep calling or emailing your attorney to call you back. If you don't get any assistance, you can call me this coming week, and I'll help you fill it out and and tell you how to file it. It's only, you know, one, sometimes two pages. The second page is optional, but you can file it, and um, you can start your appeal process. But if you don't do it within 60 days, you're going to be out of luck. Yeah. And that's a lot of what I'm sorry. Okay, the second okay. thing that I'd like to mention to you is um, I'd like to help you uh, develop a plan so that you can get your children placed with friendly relatives and or get your children placed back with you. That conversation is going to be a lengthy conversation. We can't do it right now on the radio show. But if you okay. call me and um, make an appointment. Just We can do it in the office for free. We can do it on the phone for free. We can do it Skype for free. Okay, so no, just call me office. and make that. Okay, so let me give you the telephone number to call. It's 888 Okay. Okay, very good. No, no, I have, so I have I want I've, you seen, to do I've that. been in your office twice already. Okay, so I want you to do that. And I want you to, when you make the appointment, make it to see me specifically. Sometimes when people call my office and they want to see me, they just make an appointment and they end up they end up meeting with someone else on my staff. Mm-hmm. You have to tell the person you speak to, and if you call today, I think someone's even working today. You want to make mm-hmm. a, you the appointment has to be with Vince Davis personally. Okay. 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 All right. Got thank it. you for calling. I really appreciate it. Well, no, thank you for all your help. And I I think it's a wonderful thing what you're doing. So have a wonderful new year, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Okay. We're going to take another call right now. That's a, that's a story uh, from the last caller that I hear often, and uh, it's an unfortunate story because it's basically a woman telling me that uh, she's not getting 
what she believes is her due process uh, in the court system uh, for various reasons. She was complaining about her uh, attorney, her court-appointed attorney. She was also complaining about um, the evidence and how the judge looked at the evidence. Um, and, and definitely from what she said, at least from her perspective, a, uh, an appeal should be filed. I mean, there's always two sides to the story. And of course, we haven't heard the other side. Um, but there are a lot of things I can do to tell her to try to improve her situation and her case. Okay, we're going to take another call right now from area code 562, ending in 48. Good morning, Good morning. Vince. You're on with attorney. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I'd like to say Happy New Year to you and say Happy New Year to all the listeners out there. Well, Happy New Year to you, too. I'm looking forward to a great 2017. I am as did, well. Did you I'd want, like to. Uh, did you want? Did you want to share a story with us, or ask a question? Uh, I'll, I'll share a story, and it might be a little question towards you. And know, I'm trying not to drag it out too long. Um, I can understand what the uh, previous uh, person was talking about. I went through a whole long, drawn-out deal where my daughter was taken from me. I'm a non-offending parent. She's taken it. Oh, she's probably three weeks old. She's going to be three years old, February 22nd. Went through basically a two and a half year court battle. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I had a different attorney and it just seemed like he was dragging it out. Uh, They were saying in the beginning, the allegations against me that I smoke marijuana every day and I'm a heavy drinker, which I do neither of those, and that I'm so messed up, I can't even take care of myself. How could I take care of a child? And I'm reading these documents sitting in the courtroom thinking, wow, I'm none of these. And anyone that knows me, I'm none of these. And I couldn't speak out or say anything. So all the way through the whole trial, they had recommended terminating my rights. I'm the father. I dearly love my daughter. I'll do anything in the world for her. I just want to make sure she has a good, safe life, a happy childhood, and, you know, she's educated. So they... The social worker kind of took a liking to me because I did all all my visitations. They had her in Silmar, which was two hours away in the traffic. And so I did 187 trips up there. I uh, joined all these little groups. I actually did it before they asked me. But uh, by the time I got to court a few months later, I had several certificates for them. But it wasn't good enough. They kept adding more, adding more, adding more. Um, as I'm going through, I documented everything, as you say to do. Uh, so when I do get to court, you know, I have it all lined up. I have documentations. I had exhibits. And at one point, the social worker was going to, you know, he recommended my daughter come home with me. And that was April 10th of 2015. Uh, the mother who is incarcerated had been talking to her mother, the grandmother, And the grandmother really wanted my daughter in her custody. So she had the daughter write all these false accusations. And so they extended the court. They extended the whole case for at least another year. 
and she turned this into the court and my daughter's attorney said, oh, well, he needs to do a 730 evaluation. And I ended up doing two 730 evaluations because they said I was too defensive on the first one. So going through all this uh, roller coaster of things, which has been very educational, I can understand people's stress. You can't be stressed. You can't get angry. You're trying to defend your, you know, your children. You want to put your, your fist up, but, oh, he's angry. You got to take anger classes. So, but I didn't have to do anger classes. I'm just using that for an example, a little bit of the stuff that they throw at you. So April 10th, my daughter was supposed to come home. The, the mother wrote this letter. Uh, next time I went to court in June, the mother wrote another letter recanting that letter she said none of that stuff's true i mean she wrote some pretty outrageous things in this letter and you know if if something's going on dcsf is listening it doesn't matter who runs up there and goes hey blah 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 uh, their investigation is a phone call and you're sitting there hey this is untrue so anyway went through the whole court system i finally got my daughter back Thanks to you and your team. My God, you guys are wonderful. I really appreciate that. But um, I got, I've got i had her home for a year now. She's doing quite well. Uh, she's, she's been in preschool and doing quite well with it. I do have her in therapy because she went through some emotional things. The DCSF made me take my daughter to visitation with the grandparents. The grandmother's the one that made all these accusations. And I documented that, and I have pictures of me handing my daughter to the DCSF worker so he can hand my daughter over to the grandmother, and she's screaming and kicking and crying. And after a year of this, I asked him, when is, because she's telling me, no, daddy, no, daddy. And I said, when, uh, when does this, her opinion count? And he goes, oh, not till she's 13. And I said, she don't want to go over there. They were hitting her. They gave her Benadryl. They were smoking pot around her. She came home smelling like cigarettes. She she learned three new cuss words. And I'm thinking, how do I reverse that? However, when I went to court uh, last June, the judge said, actually last, last December, the judge said, you know what? The grandparents don't have any rights in this. Um, you can visit my daughter, their granddaughter, when they pick her up and take her to the prison. <clears throat> to visit her mom. Her mom's incarcerated. It has been supposed to be a four-year term, but they never did that. When they had her, they only took her to their house for five hours. So the judge stopped that visitation, and uh, they did not terminate the mother's rights, which they were going to all through this whole thing. She um, has two felonies, and she's a, a drug abuser. And my daughter was born with meth in her system. And then so they decided to extend her rights. But the grandparents, they said, you're out, you know. Now, um, like I said, I got my daughter home. Uh, the mother hasn't had any visits, um, not on my, not because of me. She just hasn't had any visits. Um, she had like five visits over a two-and-a-half-year period because I took my daughter to see her mom. So <clears throat> the thing is... Now the grandmother has filed visitation with the family court. And this woman is so deceptive and deceiving. Um, I answered the petition and I'm having the 
the sheriff serve her, but she's not getting the, the, the service because uh, she views her mom's address. And she, she used her, actually my daughter's name is Queen. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but the grandmother tried to say her name is Queen and it's not Queen, it's Quinesta. And so she's trying to line it up like my daughter was named after her and she was not. So when the sheriffs go to the grandma's, of course, she don't live there. She lives at a different address. So I was really stressed out because the court date was the 27th of this month. And I went down there and they changed it till February 3rd because I didn't even have the paperback. After a month later, I just got it yesterday saying they could not serve this woman. So I guess I got to go refile the thing to serve to her. <clears throat> And because I have her real address and I was telling them this is not her address, but they said, we got to use the address that she put for the courts. So I think I have to do that. But I feel at this point, I'd like to file a restraining order against this woman. Um, it's become a harassment. I did two and a half years of court. I did everything that I was asked. She hasn't had to do anything. And this is a person that does not acknowledge my daughter's birthday, Christmas, or anything. And so, consequently, on Christmas Day, when my daughter and I went to the market, there was only one market open in my area. I had to get something to cook dinner. And here's this woman coming out of the store. And I seen her, and I'm like, oh, my God. I didn't say anything. She's all happy and perky going, Merry Christmas. And then she looked at my daughter and said, hi, Queenie, all excited. And my daughter didn't even acknowledge her. She didn't look at her. She didn't turn her head. She just didn't even acknowledge her. And I just ignored her and walked on. Now, the way my daughter is, we go to the market. We go places. She's a real friendly kid. She lights up when she sees other kids or certain people, grandma types, where she'll say hi. She's very friendly. But for her to just completely ignore this woman, I think something went on that, you know, um, when she came back from visiting uh, the grandmother, she had nightmares. And it took me a long time to get her, like, feeling her safety zone felt violated to her, I believe, you know, so it, it took me a long time to get all that turned around. So I'm just trying to deal with that. Um, I don't know if I have a right <clears throat> to step in and terminate the mother's rights. I wasn't trying to do all that because that is her mom. However, she's got a three page arrest sheet and she has been convicted on two felonies already. One of them was quite violent. Her and her group went in and, beat up some old folks and robbed them and they caught her with the bullets. They didn't catch her with the gun, but this is a type of person that, uh, and I didn't, I didn't have any idea about all this. Believe me. I didn't find out until I found out that she was pregnant for about five months. And then, you know, that's when I found out, you know, that she, a pipe rolled out of her purse. Because I, I work, I'm busy all the time, and then I questioned her about that. She said, no, I'm holding it for a friend. And later she admitted she had a problem, and I'm thinking, this is a big mess, you know. So basically, that's what I've been dealing with, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to, I know there's an answer to this whole little thing, and I'm trying to move forward with it because, again, I want to make sure my daughter has a good childhood, a safe childhood, not to be around any bad elements. Um, I went to a TDM with uh, 
Children's Services uh, in 2015, and they told me uh, after we did the whole thing, the social worker pulled me out in the hallway, actually the supervisor for the social worker, and said, we just want to make sure you don't have any bad people in your home around your daughter. And I'm thinking, you want to make sure I don't have any bad people in, in my home, but you're forcing my daughter to do this visitation with people she does not want to be around. And again, there's countless times where I have documented what they have done. Like I said, they gave her Benadryl. She slept for 18 and a half hours. I was very concerned about that. And several things that went on. I did call the social worker. I reported it to my attorney at the time. I actually even reported it to my daughter's attorney, who didn't want to talk to me at all. I understand there's this whole little thing going on with them. But then the daughter's attorney came over the same court date came to me in, in the in the family court and said, you're not doing any visitation with these people, the grandparents. I said, oh, uh, yes, I am. And she said, well, they're saying you only did one or two visits. This is like a year into this thing. And I said, oh, so I got my book out. Like I said, I document, here's, look at all these dates. Okay. Visitation. I took her over, dropped her off. I went over there, picked her up. I always notify them I'm coming. Uh, to pick her up, to drop her off. I did all that. And she goes, well, anyone could just write something like that. And I thought, oh, my God, what do I do now? I'm thinking hard. I'm going, oh, wait, wait, wait. I do have text messages. So I showed her the text messages. And then the grandma goes, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, he's right. He did, because they answered the texts, you know. And they're, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he did do those visits. So that's the kind of stuff that people are dealing with. Um, it's um, a hard thing just doing the DCSF thing and doing doing what they ask and, and what they want and trying to remain calm through the whole thing. But um, then you have another element going against you. Someone just say and blatantly say something. They wanted a visit uh, for Christmas, and I was with my family. My daughter has a brother and sister and a grandma and grandpa. We were there for Christmas, so the other people got mad and called DCSF and made false report that I had abused my daughter and said all these things. And they come knocking at my door. And at this point, DCSF worker was coming twice a month to check my house out, make sure everything's so. So the lady knocks on my door, identifying herself. And I said, oh, well, he already came twice this month. And she said, no, this is about the allegations of abuse. And I'm like, oh my God, really? come on in. You know, I don't have nothing to hide. <clears throat> they said, your daughter had uh, black eyes and she had a scratch on her finger because she had her thumb in her mouth and you pulled the finger out and you smacked her up, made her go stand in the corner. And they're saying all this happened at my mom's house over the Christmas time. And I said, well, look at her. She had no scratch on her fingers. She had no black eyes like they had said. <clears throat> and they wouldn't tell me who did it. <clears throat> The reason why I found out, because the person that did this has two daughters, has three, one of them's in prison, but two younger daughters. And she mentioned the two younger daughters. The lady said, you're three daughters. And she mentioned the two daughters and my daughter. And I said, no, I have two daughters. And this is my daughter. And then my other daughter, her name's Carla. And the other two girls are not my daughter. They belong to the grandma. So that's how I knew that she's the one that did this report. So, and I told the lady, 
look, I have nothing to hide. She checked my house. Everything's in order, what they're, what they're looking for, and then some. And so I said, this lady is harassing me. From the beginning of this case, she has went out of the way. She tried to get the judge to give her custody. It was denied. I have that documented. Uh, she's made false allegations to the social workers. This is a very ignorant person, and I hate to say that about anybody, but in her mind, if she makes me look bad, the judge is going to go, oh, he looks bad because you say he looks bad. Here is the child. It doesn't work that way. So what the social worker did tell me, I said, what can I do about this? And she said nothing. She said, if she calls back, we have to come back and check it again. She said, at some point, you know, we'll be able to tell that it's just her making this stuff up. And I thought, well, what do I do until then? You know, thank God it never happened again. But this is the kind of stuff I've been dealing with this whole case. So I just want to tell listeners out there, you got to be very careful and, and document everything. And uh, I really appreciate events and your team. And I just wanted everyone to have a, a good day and a good weekend. Well, thank you very much for calling and sharing with us. And Happy New Year to you, too. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to take another call. Area code 858, ending in 72. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Yeah, hi. Um, I have a story to tell. Um, and uh, I live in uh, Southern California. And um, mm -hmm. uh, basically what happened was uh, I was working out of town <clears throat> during the week and uh, my wife had uh, CPS came to our door a few days after we found out that our daughter was uh, lying and deceiving us and we found out that she was cheating at school we also learned this through reading some of her texts my wife and I were upset at our daughter for lying and deceiving us and we were shocked that she would do such a thing um, my wife uh, Sat, my wife and I sat down with our daughter and found out that she was going this, that this was going on for some time. And uh, she also stated, uh, my daughter stated that uh, at that time that she was asexual transgender, uh, which you know asexual means she doesn't prefer any sex and she's transgender is what she said. Uh, we queried her about this and found out that she got the website addresses after speaking with a school counselor and looked up the websites to try to self-diagnose you know her feelings and her emotions and how she was feeling towards you know uh, some of her peers at school um, she goes to a large public school um, my wife works from home and she heard uh, the doorbell ring and then knocking on the door very loudly my wife answered the door thinking it might be an emergency, um, and there stood two people. One was a male, and the other was a female CPS worker. So um, they introduced themselves as uh, CPS workers, and, uh, and, and then uh, and the female, who was the lead, was uh, – and – 
and uh, the male was a, an observer, is what she stated. Uh, the female handed a card to my wife, and uh, they both kind of barged into the house. Uh, they stated that they received an, an anonymous call um, and were following up on the call and that this was routine and they had to follow up on all calls. Now, later on, I kind of did some research. You know, my wife and I were trying to figure this out, what's going on. And we discovered that that was a lie, that they follow up on all calls. They, uh, by statistics, uh, they can only follow up on about half of them. So, um, you know, at this, at, you know, the time, at that time, my wife uh, realized it was a very serious matter. And uh, she then again asked uh, what this was all about. And they stated the call was reported uh, that uh, my wife and I were abusive to our 14-year-old daughter. At this point, the workers, uh, they continued on through the house and sat down in the kitchen. My wife sat down with them. The female worker stated, started the conversation and started a conversation about transgenderism and handed my wife some handout information about transgender youth. She disclosed some information that only a friend of my daughter's um, uh, would have known because it was in a text message that we read on her phone. Um, and we went through her phone and everything after, you know, we found out that she was, you know, lying and deceiving us and everything. So we kind of did, did some more research and try to figure out what's going on. Um, and we found out at that time that her, her friend was, you know, recently said she was gay. Now, you got to keep in mind that these girls are only 14 years old and how they could know, you know, what they are, it's, you know, it's beyond us. But... Uh, and uh, the, uh, the this information wasn't wasn't told to my uh, it wasn't told uh, to the counselor the school counselor so we and that is uh, the social worker actually disclosed that and said that uh, uh, you know um, there was something in the text message that was very personal and it was only between the two girls. Uh, and the social worker, you know, said something about that. So she had that information, and so it was a, you know, it was a neighbor. Uh, they lived down the street, and, uh, you know, the girls had known each other since they were, you know, in second grade. Um, so then my wife, uh, PS worker, that this was a family matter and that we would take care of ourselves. We had already set up an appointment with a family doctor and we're looking into getting therapists. Uh, once we found out, uh, you know, ones that were covered under, under our insurance and we're Christians and my wife uh, stated that uh, we wanted a Christian counselor. Well, the female social worker at that time scowled and uh, she said, does it have to be a Christian counselor? And my wife, you know, was like, of course, you know. Um, and the female social worker then stated that uh, Christians are against transgenderism. And, uh, you know, this couldn't be further from the truth. You know, as Christians, uh, we love all people. However, the Bible clearly defines male and female roles and their gender. And that's what we believe in. So um, they have a you know, a misconception there that uh, 
we have any kind of angst about any kind, you know, any people. At least we can just, you know, my wife and I can just talk about our family in that respect. Uh, they then insisted on seeing the refrigerator and the pantry, and my wife told them, yeah, we do feed our kids. And, um, you know, it was kind of ridiculous. Um, they uh, then asked to see my son and daughter's uh, bedrooms. Um, they then asked my wife to sign a release to speak with all of my daughter's doctors and therapists. Uh, my wife polite, politely uh, basically restated that this is a family matter and we'll have professionals make the determination on what to do with our daughter um, after they diagnose what her you know, condition is. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting on the front page of the inf information that was handed to my wife uh, that the social worker handed. Uh, it says, uh, quote, don't be your child's first bully. I mean, isn't that crazy? I thought we were supposed to be loving and nurturing our children, <laughs> not uh, uh, bullying them. Like uh, you know, they're they're making this accusation. Uh, so we're 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 guilty uh, until proven innocent with the CPS people, uh, and it's very alarming. Um, as a result. Um, Mr. Davis, we actually went to your firm because it's one of the foremost in Southern California. And so, uh, you know, we, we're, we're hiring your services to uh, defend our family against these uh, alleged allegations that are false. <clears throat> so anyway, that's, uh, that's our story. It, uh, they've interviewed my son and my wife and uh, they want to interview my daughter and myself, um, but uh, we we have you uh, actually uh, representing us at this time. So um, so anyway, that's uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I wanted to share my story because this could happen to anybody. Uh, it could be a neighbor, disgruntled neighbor calling, and that's basically what happened here. Um, you know, I I think the People, the family didn't believe that, you know, because we're Christians and we're very devout in our faith that uh, uh, we wouldn't be accepting or anything like that. And so they're making judgmental calls on us um, and then called these uh, social workers, uh, these, you know, the CPS, uh, you know, the county. And, <clears throat> you know, I wouldn't do that to my worst enemy. But uh, anyway, we're in this situation right now and, uh, so hopefully you can help us uh, get this thing ended soon. Um, but uh, what's kind of alarming about this is the fact that uh, they really didn't have any substantiated evidence uh, because of the way they were talking, and they're just kind of fishing right now. And uh, it's concerning to me because um, why they picked us, um, and I don't know if it's because we're Christian or it's the transgender issue that now is it's on the cover of National Geographic, and it's uh, it's actually a big uh, it's a big thing going on right now. So I think a lot of the kids at school and these public schools, you know, endorse it and kind of push it, and it goes all the way back to uh, you know just looking at it, it goes back to uh, Kevin Jennings' uh, Safe School Czar 
of Obama's. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's uh, under the guise of safe schools, they push this, this agenda uh, into the public sector. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, Mr. Davis, it's, it's really ironic. You know, my wife and I work very hard and we live in the state of California and uh, we pay our taxes and yet we're uh, and we're paying these people's salaries and yet we're the ones being under under the microscope and being scrutinized. So, um, you know, we just I just, you know, it's uh, I guess one of life's irony, ironies. Um, and uh, since then, we've talked to our daughter and, you know, she's uh, feeling like uh, she's, you know, made a made a big mistake. But, you know, at, at the end of this thing, it's really going to we're going to uh, we're going to uh, support her and love her no matter what. But, uh, you know, these people uh, coming in and uh, doing what they're doing, I think, is really wrong. So so that's uh, that's mm-hmm. our story. Um <laughs> as it goes right thank now, and hopefully it has a happy ending. <laughs> yes, thank you for calling in, and uh, I appreciate you sharing that story. That's a very uh, touching story of what you're going through as a family and being subjected to uh, these county social workers, but hopefully we will be able to take it, for, take care of it for you, and then after that, you and I will have a conversation of possibly uh, pursuing some type of civil rights case against these folks because, uh, in my opinion, it was just wrong what they're doing. Okay. All right. Um, thank that, uh, that sounds, thank you uh, again. sounds good to me. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you, you for again. Your time. Happy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Okay, we're running out of time. I just want to remind folks something. Um, the way the system is set up right now, uh, in my opinion, uh, it's against the parents and the relatives. A lot of the state laws in California are based upon federal regulations and federal laws. So, um, what I would urge you is to start a, a letter and email campaign to your congressman, to your senator uh, at the federal level, and to your uh, state representatives. Here in California, we have state legislators, uh, senators. Uh, I would urge you to write to them, to tell them the uh, abuses that you see because the more and more that we um, complain, the more and more uh, I think laws will be, you know, begin to start changing. Interestingly enough, I've been doing this since um, more than 25 years, uh, and I am starting to see a starting to see a small change uh, because things are not uh, what they should be. And additionally. Um, in California, state judges, juvenile judges, are elected or appointed by the governor, but when they're appointed, they must face face re-election. In your community, know that you can vote judges out. Uh, This is the last show for 2016. See you next year on the radio.